News Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number two. Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, uh, and that is Callender with a K. You can also follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender, and uh, remember, get the podcast. It is totally free and comes right to your smartphone or tablet, uh, and it's uh, commercial-free, and you get to listen to it. Uh, on your time. So you don't even have to, you know, cancel your schedule every single day between noon and three, just so you can listen to my program. I mean, I appreciate you doing that right now, but like, you don't have to do that uh, every single day. So, um, (laughs) so the, there's some, uh, now let me move on from uh, Liz Cheney here and hit some of the other election uh, results uh, specifically out of Alaska. Okay. So let me go back over here to RRH Elections, rrhelections.com. And I don't know what the RRH stands for. Maybe I'll add that matter. Anyway, uh, candidates, elections, and politics from the right perspective. And uh, their roundup. So let's run through it. You got in Alaska, Lisa Murkowski, Kelly Shibaka, and Pat Chesbro all advance, plus another candidate. This is why I'm bringing this up is because Alaska has now implemented this ranked choice voting mechanism. So we're not going to know who actually won these races because no one cleared 50%. So the rule, it works like this. If a candidate gets more than 50% of the votes, then they win and that's it. But if they don't, then the last place candidate is eliminated and their voters' ballots are then distributed. So let's say, you know, the last place, let's say I'm the last place uh, candidate in this, you know, 22 candidate field, and I got 100 votes. Well, when my voters went in, the people that cast those votes, those 100 people, when they went in, they checked my name first. They ranked me as number one, and then they ranked other candidates, Lisa Murkowski, Sarah Palin, whatever. They ranked them as number two, number three, number four. And so what happens when when no one gets 50%, they go to the last place finisher or votainer. I would be the the last place votainer or the least votainer, right? Uh, the lowest votainer. And so they would take my 100 votes. They would say, okay, eliminate their first choice, which was me. Let's look at their second choices. And, and then they allocate those votes to the remaining candidates. And if somebody's not over 50%, then they do it to the next lowest votainer. They allocate, they kick off the first choice. They go to the second, third, whatever they allocate those. And if nobody gets over 50%, they go to the next one and you get the idea. They just keep moving up the list. So this takes a long time. This takes a long time. Um, So we're not going to know because Lisa Murkowski got, let me see here. Oh, sorry. Where is, uh, uh, uh Oh, what did I do with my my, oh, there it is. Why would I put it over there? That doesn't even make any sense, Pete. Why would I put it over there? Okay. here. Uh, so Lisa Murkowski gets 43.7%. Kelly Shibaka, both Republicans. Well, I mean, it's Murkowski. Um, she got 40.7. So there's a difference of about 5,000 votes. The Democrat got 9,400 votes. 9,400 votes. The other two, uh, Shibaka and Murkowski, both got... Uh, over 60,000 votes each. So that's pretty close. They, they're within like four points, three or four points of each other. So uh, that is in the Senate seat. Then you've got the 
uh, U.S. House at-large special election. So in March, Alaska Representative Congressman Don Young died. And uh, he had been in there since the founding of the republic. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he'd been there for 49 years. I think since Alaska became a state, maybe. No, I don't know. He was there a long time, 49 years. He passed away, and he has, so the remainder of his term has to be filled. And so they set, this set off the special election to finish the term. So you got this weird thing going on where people are filing to run for the remainder of his term, and then they're also filing for the next election outright. Make sense? Okay. So first one, you've got the special election. And this is the Democrat, Mary Peltola, at 37.8%, Sarah Palin at 32%, and Nick Begich at 29%. Okay, so the Democrat's on top, but she didn't get 50%. And the same sort of number, it's it's almost identical. It looks like there was some uh, voter fall-off or roll-off down ballot. So the next race, it, like people look at this and they say, oh, well, wait a minute. This looks like you're asking me the same question because it kind of is. This is for the seat, the same seat, but this would be the next term. And the same candidates are on that ballot, too. So Peltola, Palin and Begich, they finish one, two, three again. But here's the key. The Democrat only picked up 35. Well, in the the, the second race is 35 percent. The first race was 38 percent. Either way, she's under 40 percent, which means what? The two Democrats, or the two Republicans, rather, split the rest of that vote. Palin and Begich split the rest of the non-Peltola vote. Which then prompted this analysis from one of my favorite blue anons on uh, Twitter. Alaska has not elected a Democrat for the U.S. House of Representatives since 1907. In other words, over a century. But in their special election held last night, Democrat Mary Peltola is leading the race. Results won't be final until the end of August. Hashtag blue wave. (laughs) Uh, Okay, okay. it could happen. You know me. I don't make election predictions anymore. But uh, it could happen. Sure. That once you start going up that ranked choice list and you start moving up and you start picking off the the lowest votainers, and eventually you're going to get to Nick Begich. And maybe, maybe all of those folks that voted for Begich, a Republican, maybe they're all anti-Sarah Palin votes. And maybe all of them go to Peltola. I find that to be unlikely. (laughs) I find it to be unlikely. I think probably... Most of the people voting for Begich are going to prefer a Republican over a Democrat because Begich is a Republican. That's what I'm thinking. But I don't know Alaska politics. That's just my guess. According to the new system, supporters ranked choice encourages more moderate candidates who can appeal to the most voters. One of the critics of the system has been Sarah Palin. She says that the new voting system is a convoluted process that's going to result in voter suppression. One thing is clear. No matter your view on ranked choice voting or not, uh, no matter what it is, support or oppose, it takes a very, very long time. 
And I'm not so sure that that inspires confidence. I'm, I'm just not. And the longer, the longer the ballots wait and the more they're manipulated by people, and I mean, just mean like physically handled, right? The more they're handled by people, the more uh, opportunity, let's say, for accusations of malfeasance to occur. This is why you want to know what the vote totals are as quickly as possible. Get the, um, you know, get the results posted as quickly as possible. Then go back and do the audits. The longer this stuff sort of hangs in limbo, the more the accusations fly. And that undermines confidence. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So I read these so you don't have to. Carolina Forward Poll. Uh, this is a lefty group, and they hire a lefty pollster, uh, public policy polling. And uh, it was conducted August 3rd through the 4th with 656 registered North Carolina voters. This is just registered voters, which is it's a very poor standard. Registered voters. I mean, the only worse one is like adults. <laughs> it's not like you don't even registered voter. You're just asking adults, which is fine if you're just getting, you know, poll questions about general sentiments about things. But if you want to know what kind of impact attitudes are going to have on an election, then you ask likely voters. You find likely voters, not registered voters. I mean, yes, the registered voters you'd have to be registered and likely, right? It's like a square is a rhombus, but a rhombus ain't a square kind of thing, right? So you need the likely voters who are registered because those are the ones that are likely to vote. Yes, exactly. Go. All right, so you've got registered voters polled by public policy polling. The margin of error is like 4% here. It's 3.8, so four, almost 4%. And it was done by Carolina Forward. North Carolina Focus. North Carolina voters say they are not happy with President Biden, but are generally evenly uh, divided about which party they wish to be in charge. So keep in mind why they released the poll. If the poll was simply top line, people hate Biden, then they probably don't release that poll. But if they know people are unhappy with Biden, but they're divided about Democrats versus Republicans... Who, who should be in charge, then we should put that out. That's my assessment. North Carolina voters, they say, overall disapprove of President Biden's job performance by a 13-point margin, 52 to 39. 9% are unsure. Always curious about that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Are you happy or unhappy? I don't know. Is he doing a good job or bad job? I don't know. See, that's one of the problems with likely voters. The, the unsure number, and plus or minus 4%, now you're into like 15 percentage point territory. And that's, I mean, it may, basically means that you can't really decipher anything. Anyway, um, support for Governor Roy Cooper remains positive. 46% job approval, 42% disapproval, 11% unsure. What does that tell you? That's tied. That's tied. So I like the fact that Carolina Forward, you know, putting the positive spin on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cooper remains positive. Look, I remember during 
The pandemic, Cooper's approval numbers were way better than that. He had a much bigger spread, lower disapproval numbers. But now, with a 4%, you know, plus or minus margin of error, a 46 to 42 rating, that, that's even. On the state legislative generic ballot, which asks voters which party they intend to vote for in the legislature, Republicans hold a one-point advantage, 42 to 41 percent. So it's, that's tied as well. Five uh, percent uh, say they intend to vote for a candidate of another party. Ha-ha, joke's on you. They're not going to be a lot of candidates from other parties that are listed on the ballot. Thirteen um, percent undecided. This is a remarkable result for President Biden's first midterm election. See, this is why they released the poll. Because this is from their this is from the Carolina Forward. They commissioned the poll. So this is a remarkable result for President Biden's first midterm election. The party that occupies the White House traditionally pays a midterm penalty, which means that even factoring in that handicap, Democrats are still only one point behind. Republican pundits have loudly predicted a red wave resembling the 2010 or even 1994 watershed elections this November. Words that might prove embarrassing if this level of support holds up. A lot of time. There's a lot of time between now and the next election. So that was the first thing that they wanted to get out there, right? They wanted this this message to get out that, hey, red wave, probably not actually going to happen. And yesterday I spoke with Rich Rubino. The author of the, uh, you know, the the like the the authority, like political trivia. You want that book? Like, it's got everything in that book. Anyway, a uh, guy knows like everything about all the history of uh, elections and stuff. And so he says the problem is that most of the the blue dog Democrats, the conservative, moderate, or uh, centrist Democrats, they already lost. They've already lost those seats. So the ones being contested now, there aren't a lot of true toss up seats to contest. So. You're not going to see this massive wave rip through the the House. He doesn't think, and he doesn't think that the uh, the Senate is going to. It's going to be it's going to be tough because some of the candidates in the Senate that the Republicans uh, have elected via the primaries uh, they're not exactly the strongest. I have no idea. I have no idea. So that's the first thing that Carolina Forward wanted you to know that uh, hey everybody, red wave not, uh, may not happen. Energize Democrats. The other, it's about. Views on abortion. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Another thing to keep in mind about this Carolina Forward poll, it's a leftist organization, Carolina Forward, they, you know, contract with public policy polling, which is uh, pretty terrible, but North Carolina-based, Democrat-aligned. Anyway, uh, the uh, Carolina Forward poll They put out the question, it's called the generic ballot, and this is for state legislative races, state legislative races. And it asked voters which party they intend to vote for in the legislature. What did I say in the first hour? I say it all the time, right? Candidates matter. Candidates matter. Campaigns matter. But candidates matter. If you've got somebody who's, you know, a local person known in the community that is able to attract support from both sides win over unaffiliated, that sort of thing. And when you only give people, you know, Republican or Democrat generic candidate, you don't know who that person is. And it, like in my district, well, let's say I've got a, 
a House member and a Senate member, and I like the House member who's a Democrat, and I like the Senate member who's a Republican. How would I answer that question? Right? I'm unaffiliated. I like those two different candidates of different parties. How do I answer? So there's a, there are there are real limitations to this kind of a question and the answers that you induce by asking it. But here's the other thing that the Carolina Forward folks want you to know. The poll asked voters about their preferences on abortion rights. Once again, the voters confirmed their support for abortion rights. This is the story now from Russ Bowen at CBS 17 TV station in North Carolina, who I guess he's apparently a stenographer for Carolina Forward. There isn't really, uh, oh, I'm, well, okay, I take it back. He's also a stenographer for the Democrat Party um, because all he does is uh, get the, the quotes and stuff from uh, Carolina Forward, and that's it. That's his story. He then has a quote from Blair Reeves with Carolina Forward. Quote, I think the people that sort of see these stories understand it could impact their real lives. And we see it clearly driving some voters. Blair Reeves with Carolina Forward said the organization. By the way, you notice he never describes Carolina Forward in his story as progressive, as left wing, even as liberal, Democrat aligned. No, no. It's just, you know. Some organization. They're just interested in this topic of abortion access. The organization commissioned public policy polling. Once again, no adjective to describe PPP. To send out the poll, ask voters in North Carolina about one of the most debated issues in the country. The polling showed 55% favor some level of abortion. 37% favor more restrictions. 28% favor fewer abortion restrictions. 27% said 20 weeks is about right when the health of the mother is considered. 55 say some favor some level of abortion. 37 favor more restrictions. 28 say fewer. There is a lot of gap in these numbers, there's a lot of gap. And they say here, do, 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 um, these results represent an erosion of support for anti-choice policies. People don't even know what the law is. It's actually being fought over right now in North Carolina because the state passed a law on the 20 weeks. And the, gen- the attorney general, Josh Stein, who says we should be able to lie about political opponents, that's free speech, as an officer of the court and the top cop in the state and the top lawyer in the state. uh, He says we should be able to lie and defame people uh, if they're Republicans running against him. Anyway, Josh Stein is refusing to ask the court to lift the injunction against that law, and that injunction was made moot by the Dobbs case. And what the North Carolina standard did is just peg it to 20 weeks. 20 weeks. How many months is that? Four weeks in a month. Is it five months? Second trimester? Most people favor, this is, has been the case for a very, very long time. 
which is most people are okay in America, the polling shows, most people are okay with abortion in the first trimester. It then becomes less popular in the second. It's still a majority, though. Still, a majority says no in the, in the second trimester. And then it's like 70-plus percent opposed in the third trimester. They didn't ask that. They don't care about that. The point of the poll here, and this is the last poll before the midterm elections, the Carolina Forward Commission, the point here is to what? It's to motivate Democrats, motivate progressives, get them to the polls, keep them interested. Because there's some other things going on that have Democrats very concerned. Namely, Latinx voters. I'm sorry, Hispanic voters. (laughs) The uh, progressives keep calling them Latinx, and I'm not sure you, I'm not sure you guys on the left realize how much Hispanic voters and and Hispanics in general loathe that term. They do not like it. They do not like it. You're rewriting their language. Talk about cultural appropriation. Anyway, here's a piece by Rui Teixeira. This is the guy who said he wrote the book back in like the early 2000s or something. Demographics is destiny. This is the guy who told Democrats that uh, if you just keep bringing in more people from Central and South America, then you're going to have a lasting, permanent, durable majority forever because they'll come in and they'll vote Democrat. That was his, that's what he predicted. And of course, then the Democrats, uh, like they built that all into their assumptions and they assumed that, hey, you know what? We're going to win races forever so we can just go full crazy. You know, and... Unfortunately for them, fortunately for America, Hispanics are kind of cool with America. They like it. They don't think it's institutionally racist. They, they do think if you work hard, you'll get ahead. They want a better life. They, they want the American dream. That's why they came here. So the Democratic Party, thinking that this majority was going to be theirs, they got a little impatient, kind of tipped their hand a bit, and a lot of... Hispanic voters like, oh, you're crazy. And so now they're moving to the GOP. And this this has a lot of folks on the left concerned. Rui Teixeira has a big piece at his Substack uh, website, theliberalpatriot.substack.com. Headline, Hispanic voters are normie voters. Normie, N-O-R-M-I-E. You know what a normie voter is? Normal. Normal. Regular person. I don't know why the left needed to be told this, but apparently they do. Rui Teixeira writes at his blog, The Liberal Patriot, Joe Biden actually did quite a bit worse among Hispanic voters than Hillary Clinton did. Did you know that? Yeah, Biden did worse. Than Clinton among Hispanics, according to authoritative estimates from Democratic big data firm Catalyst, the Democratic advantage among Hispanic voters slipped by a remarkable 16 points. Now, they still got a solid majority of that group's vote, but the size of their majority was whittled down considerably and appears to be falling even further. The seriousness of this problem tends to be underestimated in Democratic circles for a couple of reasons. Number one, they don't realize how big the shift has been. And number two, they don't realize how thoroughly it undermines the most influential Democratic theory of the case 
for building their coalition. We'll take the second part first. Most Democrats like to believe that there's a you know conservative, white, working-class population. It is in sharp decline, while a presumably liberal, non-white population keeps growing. And because of that, the course of social and demographic change should deliver an ever-growing Democratic coalition. This is known as the rising American electorate. This Again, this is the guy who pitched this very idea. This was his. Right? So he's like, oh, Democrats believe this thing. It's like part of their core understanding. Gee, I wonder why, Rui. Anyway, it's simply a matter of getting this burgeoning non-white population to the polls. So that's been the Democrat mindset, is that the demographics are destiny, and it's just a get-out-the-vote effort. Problem. Hispanics are the biggest racial minority now, right? 19%. uh, Blacks are 12%. The biggest single driver of the increased non-white population is the growth of Hispanics. If Hispanic voting trends continue to move steadily against the Democrats, the pro-Democrat effect of non-white population growth is going to be blunted, if not canceled out entirely. That radically undermines the Democrats' rising American electorate theory. If right, if you're counting on all of the Hispanic uh, migrants and, and, and births, you're counting on all these people to be your coalition of the future, and then they don't vote for you, uh, I've made a terrible mistake. Their slippage among Hispanic voters in 2020 was all over the country and among all different ethnicities lumped under the Hispanic label as well. This is problematic uh, as a trend for Democrats who had counted on the burgeoning Hispanic population, as with other non-whites, to be a bulwark of their coalition, insulating them from the negative effects of declining white working-class support, a group that many in the party had essentially written off. The basket of deplorables, if you will. Right? Message received loud and clear from the Democratic Party that white working-class voters are not a group that you care about anymore. And they have been proceeding accordingly until, whoops, Hispanics are not voting the way Democrats thought they would. And now they're going to have to try to, oh, oh, white working class. Oh, no, we we, we didn't mean it. We we love you. In retrospect, it seems clear that Democrats, in fact, seriously erred, made a mistake, by lumping Hispanics in with people of color and assuming that they embraced the activism around racial issues that dominated so much of the political scene in 2020, particularly that summer, right? The the burning of the cities and all of that. Yeah, that didn't sit too well with a lot of Hispanics. And they just got lumped in by Democrats into the people of color category, which, I don't know, seems kind of racisty, right? Oh, uh, hey, uh, yeah, you're, you're a non-white person. You must believe the same things that this other non-white person believes because you're both non-white. I mean, you're different ethnicities and religions and backgrounds and individual and whatever, uh, you know, BIPOC. This was a flawed assumption. In reality, Hispanic voters are overwhelmingly an upwardly mobile, patriotic population with practical and down-to-earth concerns focused on jobs, the economy, Healthcare, effective schools, and public safety. In short, they are normie voters.
normies, normal voters, not at all a liberal voting block, especially on social issues. And simply mobilizing them is not going to get you the outcome that you want. Which now, isn't it starting to make a a good bit of sense as to why Biden wants to finish building the wall all of a sudden? That's... Right now it makes sense. Pew Research post-election voter survey found 20% of the voters described themselves as liberal. 45% said they were moderate. 35% uh, said they were conservative. That was among Hispanic voters. Only 20... Only 20... That's weird. I can hear that. Yeah. Do you hear the music playing? Somebody's playing music. Um... Anyway, so 20% of these voters describe themselves as liberal. 45% said they're moderate. 35% say they're conservative. That's just the Hispanic voter demographic. That is disaster. That is disaster if you are counting on a voting block to be part of your ongoing, lasting, durable coalition and thirty a third say they're conservative and 45% say they're moderate. Yeah, you're in some good bit of trouble good bit of trouble we'll have more from this uh, piece after the news as well as some sad news about the queen city's most famous rodent stick around